Intrepid Radio. This is Control. We are go for an on-air check. Control, Intrepid. We copy an on-air check. Intrepid, this is Control. You are go for Intrepid Radio. Cue music and cue talent. Intrepid, you are live in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Intrepid Radio, you are live and the clock is running. are listening to Intrepid Radio, where we spotlight innovators defining the new rules of marketing, business, politics, and life. And now, here's your host, Todd Schnick. And welcome back to Intrepid Radio. I'm your host, Todd Schnick. Very fortunate this morning to be joined by a very engaging lady. She is a New York Times bestselling author and highly successful business strategist. Welcome to the show, Carol Roth. Hi, good morning. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. How's my hometown, Chicago, doing? <laughs> we have had sun for multiple days running, so no complaints here. Well, you realize all your snow melting has flooded the south. You understand that, right? Yes, that was completely my fault. I apologize. What I want to do is I do want to get into your book, The Entrepreneur Equation, but before we get into it, uh, spend a minute, Carol, and just tell us a little bit about you, your background, and your work. Yes, so I have been in the business advisory business for about 16 years now. Um, some of the highlights, I've helped companies raise over $1 billion in capital complete three-quarters of a billion in mergers and acquisitions. I have done licenses and partnerships with my clients and folks like Disney and Paramount and even the pop singer Katy Perry and have designed um, seven-figure brand loyalty programs for, for companies. So I've been very active in the advisory space and then also very active in the media. I'm frequently on MSNBC and Fox News and WGN here in Chicago. Um, a lot of time on great radio shows like yours, Todd. And uh, I have a, a blog over at uh, carolroth.com called Unsolicited Business Advice that's gotten some nice awards and accolades. So um, doing lots of fun things all about you know, business and, and entrepreneurship and helping companies grow and make more money and solve their problems and all that good stuff. Outstanding. Well, MSNBC, Fox News, Small Potatoes, you've now hit the big time with Intrepid. Yeah, that's, I mean, really, in the grand scheme of things, that's what I was trying to work up for. I wanted to make sure I got those, you know, kind of under my belt, got the preparation so that I would be prepared for when I came and chatted with you. <laughs> All right. I appreciate that, and thanks for following the script. <laughs> All right. So the book is The Entrepreneur Equation, Evaluating the Realities, Risks, and Rewards of Having Your Own Business. Carol, there's a ton of books out there about entrepreneurialism. Uh, why did you write this one? You know, it's interesting, Todd. I actually wrote it because I was mad about all of those books that are out there about entrepreneurship. <laughs> I, um, I I was looking at, at the the state of entrepreneurs, um, both you know anecdotally, all the people who were coming to me and having issues and problems, and then the sort of nine out of ten businesses. I don't know if you want to call it failing or failing to succeed, but you know, not really doing what they had in, had intended to do to start with. And I was looking at the types of books that were out there, and they were the seven steps to success and follow your passion, get your dreams. 
and I kept going, you know, this is really unrealistic. You know, we all have different definitions of what success is and different types of businesses that we're pursuing. So how could one plan really fit all? And uh, I just kind of kept looking and went, wow, nobody's really talking about the reality of what it means to be an entrepreneur, especially since it's changed so much over the past couple of decades, and it's a very, very different environment now. So I just got frustrated, and I started writing about it, and uh, 80,000 words later, I went, oh, boy, this probably is a book. <laughs> huh, does that fit with my strategy? I guess so, and uh, and then ended up taking the writings and, and, and going down the book path. But it really did come from this place of frustration and wanting to, to put out some really realistic information, but putting it out in a framework. Because, you know, back to what I said, I, I really felt that it was so important for you to have a framework to work on your own goals and objectives, not somebody else's goals and objectives. So it really had to apply to you. And by the way, our circumstances change all of the time. So just because something works or doesn't work today doesn't mean it's going to be the same situation in the future. So I really wanted to balance that out, and that's why I came up with the entrepreneur equation. You know, I'm struck by this. Uh, I've seen you speak on this before. Why are we accepting a 90% failure rate? I think you've suggested, well, you know, we wouldn't let doctors or or people like that go with that kind of success rate. Here's my question for you, though. We also, there's a lot of people out there, I guess we would define them as thought leaders, say, hey, don't be afraid to fail. That's, that's how you learn from your mistakes, and, and failing's cool, failing's okay. Is that is that actually the right mentality to have? Well, I think that failing is okay if you fail fast and you fail smart and you fail without a lot of financial risk. And I think that... Um, there's a little bit of, of bifurcation in the discussions there because what I found the reality to be is that when people start businesses, they're really investing a lot of money up front and almost betting the farm on you know, one sort of opportunity. And so if you are going to be doing that and you're going to be really seriously pursuing one thing deeply and a lot of capital behind it, you better be right. You better be prepared. Um, I actually am a big advocate of testing things out and being able to fail fast. And that's part of the, the framework is, is, okay, how can you have a limited budget and a, little, a limited amount of time and effort and test something out to see the viability? And so I don't think that, you know, the, the failure and the just do it and the preparation mentality are actually mutually exclusive. I think it's something where you do both where you do the preparation, you say, this is the right course of action, this is something I want to spend my time on, and how can I you know, test this out on a small scale? How can I you know, kind of dip my toe in the water to make sure that this is the right course of action before I jump in with both feet? Well, I think what you're talking about is what you referred to as stacking the odds. Uh, in your favor. I mean, speak more to that. Yeah, I think it's really critical that if you're going to do something that you do the preparation. Um, I use the example that uh, kind of stole from Tim Sanders' tweet the other day of the uh, the chopping down the tree, right? <laughs> so if you're going right. to chop down the tree, you might want to sharpen the axe first. But I even go a step further. I say if you're going to chop down the tree, make sure it's your tree and not your neighbor's. Because <laughs> if you're, you're one of those people that just gets into action like i'm gonna just i'm gonna go and you start chopping the tree down 
you know, if it's your neighbor's tree, they're not going to be super happy about that. So that's really the the whole point about stacking the odds of success in your favor is doing these kind of basic checks and things that, that go, okay, yeah, if I do go into action, at least my action's being put forth in the right direction because action for action's sake is just silly. You know, you look like a, a whirling dervish, I guess, for lack of a better phrase phrase but um you, you know i think that if you put that action towards something where it's the right opportunity and you're doing it at the right time for you and you're motivated by the right factors and you're, you've got the skills to do it that's really how you can ensure that you have a better chance at success nothing's guaranteed but at least you feel like okay i've done the things that are necessary it's kind of like Back when we were in school, when we have exams, I mean, you could go into an exam cold and just take it, but you probably aren't going to do very well. So you have to put in some level of preparation. And I really haven't heard that many people who felt like, oh, my God, I wasted all that time preparing. You usually hear the lamenting on the other side. Wow, I really wish I had spent a little bit more time preparing before I went in to do that. And and that's the case with pretty much anything in life is that there's there's really nothing bad that comes from preparation unless you use it as a crutch um for the rest of your life. Eventually you have to have some, you know, line in the sand that okay, if I've done these things and I'm in a good position, then I actually have to go ahead and do it. Um, and I think that that's where a lot of the just-do-it gurus out there are, are trying to get to, but I think that they're not making the point super eloquently, and I think they're forcing a lot of people into just the action with, again, without figuring out if it's the right tree that they're chopping down. Right. So we've said that too many entrepreneurs fail, and it's likely due to a couple of things. Poor preparation, as you said, bad timing, the wrong opportunity, a wrong business model. What are the more important questions that a would-be entrepreneur needs to ask him or herself before they, they, they get into this? Well, I think the very first question, and, and this is going to sound really funny, but it, it's sort of the missing question is, should I do this? Because we only have so much time and we only have so much effort we can put out and we only have so much money. <laughs> and so it's, is this really going to be the best opportunity with all of the different choices I have to be doing things with my time and, and my capital? Is this really the right one? Do I want to hang my hat on this? And I think people get so caught up in the can I do this that they stop, they forget to stop and ask themselves, should I even be doing this in the first place? Is this really as good of an opportunity as it looks, or am I business beer goggling? You know, does it, do I think that this looks a lot better than it is in reality? So I, I think that that's just bar none, the first question that everybody miss, misses. And then after that, I think that the finances are sort of the next question people should ask themselves about because one of the really key reasons that businesses fail is that they're not properly capitalized. And I don't think enough people understand that it takes a business a couple years to really get a foundation underneath it, to really be solid and, and to be able to move forward. It takes time. And thank God we have Oprah Winfrey now as the poster child for this because she has started this new network, OWN, and she's about six months into it, five, six months into it, and everybody's losing it. They're saying, oh, my God, you know, Oprah, you know, she's not doing as well as expected, and she needs more money, and she needs to, you know, she's not getting the big numbers yet. Well, I say a big duh to that because it's new, and I don't care who you are. It takes a while for the business to get going. So now I have Oprah to point to and say, look, with Oprah's resources and Oprah's fan base and Oprah's capital, if it takes her a while to get a business going, 
it's going to take you a while to get the business going. So once you understand that, then you need to realize, okay, if it's going to take me two years or a year and a half, whatever it is, to get this business um, kind of settled, well, not only do I need the money to start this business, but I have to be able to operate it for the first couple of years, and I have to be able to live in the meantime. And I think that that mind frame, those questions, okay, do you know, am I in a financial position to really give this a go, is absolutely critical and just one of those things that keeps getting missed. And as technology makes it cheaper to start businesses, I think the question becomes more and more important because it's so easy to start it, but that doesn't mean it's easy to keep it going, and it doesn't mean you're going to be pulling money out to live on either. So I think that's really critical as well. You know, we talked about the, the, the uh, is it the right model or are we properly capitalized, but what about the DNA? I mean, it, it is, is, is this for everyone? I mean, it, to me it seems that too many people start off their entrepreneurial because they were – they were laid off or fired or downsized, and so they don't want to be put at risk again of that ever happening. So they say, well, I'm going to be my own boss. Uh, what have you observed in all the entrepreneurs that you've you've seen? What, what trait makes them successful? Well, before I even answer that, I want to address that first point because this, this is sort of the interesting delusion of entrepreneurship, that now that people have realized that there's no such thing as job security, they think that they're going to have control by starting a business. And what I keep trying to impress upon entrepreneurs, and I think people are, are starting to understand this, is that the same skills that is required to convince somebody to hire you for a job and to keep you employed are the same skills that are required to convince customers to buy from you and to convince them to keep buying from you. So if you're not real good at it when you're in the job realm, I'm not sure why you think you're going to be really good at it um, in the business realm. So I think that's a really key distinction to make. And, oh, by the way, if the companies are struggling and not hiring um, people because of a bad economy, because customers aren't buying, well, you're going to be faced with those same economic conditions in your business. So I think that, that we have to get the reality in there. And, uh, you know, it definitely isn't for everyone. I mean, all you need to do is watch an episode of American Idol where they have those auditions to see that not everybody is cut out for every path. And what's interesting to me is how many times there's somebody who clearly can't carry a tune, who marches up in front of the judges, usually with quite a bit of confidence, opens their mouth, and the judges say, you know what, honey, you're not going to earn a living at this. Like, you just are completely tone deaf. And the person marches out of the room, and their family members have the nerve to stare them in the face and say, the judges don't know anything. You're fantastic. And I always want to slap these people <laughs> upside the head and going, look, all of America just heard that your, your daughter or niece or whomever cannot carry a tune, and you're not doing this person any favors by trying to bolster this you know, ego with misinformation. The person can still enjoy singing. They can still sing in the shower. They can still sing in their car. They're just not going to earn a living from it. And the same thing applies to entrepreneurship. There are some people who just don't like to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Entrepreneurship is a roller coaster. There's lots of risks and uncertainty every day. And it is a crazy, crazy scenario. And it takes somebody who's really a go-getter, who can pick up the ball and run with it, not 
sit around and wait and be told what to do and who's really good at marketing. I don't care if you're a rock band or a store or a photographer. you got to let people know about your business. So, you know, there are all these critical things that are required to be an entrepreneur, and some people at the end of the day just aren't cut out for it. Well, I want to talk more about this risk. Uh, or this risk, fear of risk, or risk aversion. I, I mean, every every would-be entrepreneur that I've ever talked to, and in some cases coached, I've said, "Hey, look, do you have the stomach for this? Because this isn't easy. You're, you're not going to have that steady paycheck. Economic downturns are going to affect you more." Or, or I just, they all say, "Oh, I'm prepared for that. I, I, I'm, I don't fear risk. Uh, I can put up with that. I don't mind uh, a month-to-month variation on income." I, but that month or two in, they all freak out. And they're all panicked, and they all quit and run back to the cube. Are, are there? Do you? Can you help me help understand what better questions to ask to truly ascertain whether someone's prepared for that kind of a lifestyle? It's, or maybe that's, we didn't have cracked that code yet. What do you think? You know, I don't. I think if people lie to themselves, it's really, really difficult. Time, so I wouldn't beat yourself up over that. Um, you know, I think it's about getting people into a space where they can be realistic, or perhaps having people who know them tell them, "Hey, this is what I notice about you in other scenarios." You know, when you've been working on projects, here's how you've behaved in the past. Or, you know, with your own money. Um, I'm a perfect example of this, that early on in my career, I had this really um, messed up relationship with money that I completely blame my father for because my father um, was a union electrician. You know, we didn't have a lot of money growing up. And, you know, he always made my sister and I fear that if we spent anything, we'd end up living in a box under Lower Wacker Drive in downtown Chicago. (laughs) So we were always very, very careful uh, with our money. And even when I, you know, started out in investment banking and and was doing very, very well, you know, I was the one that was squirreling away every dollar and, you know, wouldn't go out and buy a glass of wine at dinner or anything like that. And so it took me a while, even though somebody else who maybe had the same financial wherewithal that I did would say I've got plenty of capital to be able to be an entrepreneur. My personal comfort level with investing the money wasn't there. And uh, it took me a couple of years, probably more than it would have taken somebody else who is more comfortable with making those kinds of risks and investments to be able to become an entrepreneur myself because of that. And so, you know, that's something I I have other people that I've worked with that I've been able to point out to them and say, you know, when it's when it's time when the chips are down like are you going to be able to invest like how do you treat money what's your relationship with money and i think that the relationships people have with money whether it's having no money um, being very careless with their money or perhaps being overly conservative with their money all have implications on how they're going to treat investments in their business and so that can sometimes be a good proxy for it as well i want to go back to something you touched on a few minutes ago about uh, these cube dwellers and it's always struck me that if someone was laid off or downsized and they weren't they weren't seen as valuable to their organization is that should that be a red I mean, obviously i guess that's a red flag about someone being having the right chops to be an entrepreneur is, is that fair to say that i'm sure there's countless examples of people in that situation that have been successful but 
by and large, I mean, is, is that a red flag? I don't think it's a red flag. I mean, I think people get, um, you know, laid off for all different reasons, some that are absolutely of, you know, no fault of their own organizational structures and changes, you know, just a mere, mere head count. And so I don't think that alone is an indicator. Uh, but I think the unwillingness to go out and pound the pavement and to, you know, to be able to then convince somebody else, hey, you know, here's why I'm so great and here's why I'm so valuable and here's what I have to offer you, you know, that's a really critical skill because we are all as entrepreneurs marketers now. And so if you can't market yourself, the product that you should know better than anything else in the universe, you know, that's a serious deficiency in terms of entrepreneurship. So I don't necessarily think just because you're someone who, you know, got laid off that that itself um, is an issue. But if there's a reason why you were laid off, you may need to, you know, kind of reassess your attitude and readjust your attitude. Now, one other thing I want to mention that I think is is really interesting too is that for people who want to be entrepreneurs, a lot of times it's not driven just by the um, desire to make tons and tons of money, but a lot of times there are other things that are involved, you know, wanting to make an impact or to be creative or to get recognition. And there are ways to do that inside of corporations as well. And I think that as the economy has turned around a little bit and bigger corporations know that they need to compete, companies are more and more willing to take risks. Not every company, but there are more opportunities to be entrepreneurial without quote-unquote becoming an entrepreneur, without necessarily having to take the money out of your own pocket. And so... I encourage people, hey, you know, if you have a great corporate partner that can give you a launching pad, which, you know, by the way, you don't have to recreate the wheel, you've got resources, you may have access to capital, and you might have an idea that you can launch within an organization, why not go for that? For many people, that's a really huge untapped opportunity, and it allows you to get the benefits of being an entrepreneur without taking on the financial risk. Not to say you're not taking on any risk because obviously you have you know, reputational risk that if the project doesn't go well, you could lose your job and all of that. But it's different than having to invest your life savings and then also starting back at square one without having the credibility and the resources. So I encourage folks who perhaps aren't in the right you know, financial space or maybe aren't doing it just for the money to really look at that as a viable option as well. Carol, we've probably got time left for one question. I've got to have you talk about your spinach in your teeth business advice. Yes, yeah, so I'm um, known for tough love. I'm sure that didn't come across at all on this uh, on this interview here. I haven't sensed that at all. <laughs> and uh, and I always say, you know, I'll, I'll tell you that you're being an idiot, but I'll give you a hug afterwards. So I get the tough and the love in there. But <laughs> it, it really it stemmed out of this philosophy that I call the spinach in your teeth philosophy. And what that means to me is that it's the let's get real, let's have these uncomfortable conversations for the benefit of people so that they can be the best that they can be. And I use the spinach in your teeth as an example because I've seen so many times when people are having lunch together and someone will get something stuck in their teeth, usually spinach, and someone will sit across from them and just stare at it because they don't want to point it out. They don't want to be the ones to have the uncomfortable conversation. So they'll just ignore it 
and then that person may have a job interview afterwards and you know looks kind of goofy walking around with spinach in their teeth. And so it's been my philosophy and I tried to surround myself with people who have the philosophy that you should never take advice from anyone who won't tell you that you have spinach in your teeth. Well, that's great advice. And it's amazing how many, quote, business coaches are afraid to tell you you got spinach or, as you said, a booger on your nose. I mean, it's just amazing how many people are afraid to tell you that kind of stuff. It is true. It's it's actually kind of maddening. So um, really use that as a lens. And, and, you know, test people. Test them out. Trick them out. I, I've had people try and call me on it all the time, and uh, I don't think I've let them down yet. <laughs> Hey, Carol, we're out of time. Uh, do me a favor and, and, and take a second and share with our folks uh, how they can contact you, get the book, and learn more about you and your work. Yes, thank you, Todd. So to connect with me, best and easiest way is at carolroth.com. Have a great blog there. love to get comments. Um, actually give you the opportunity if you want to sign up and get some PR exposure and contribute to some of our expert topics. So um, definitely sign up for the newsletter there at carolroth.com. And uh, I'm also very active on Twitter. I'm at Carol J.S. Roth, which is the most botched Twitter handle of all time. And the book is The Entrepreneur Equation, and it is available uh, wherever fine business books are sold. And I will personally guarantee value. I, I feel so strong about the the feedback and the accolades that it's got and the work that I've put out there, that I guarantee you, if you buy it and you think that it's just a bunch of fluff, you come back to me, I'll give you your money back. I, I can I can guarantee that much. Outstanding. And actually, I lied. I, I do have one final question. Uh, I'm hoping that you still have some uh, Carol Roth Ultra Limited Edition fashion dolls still available to give away to lowly podcasters. I do. I do have some Carol Roth Limited Edition fashion dolls. I am the first business strategist to have have my own fashion doll, or as most of the men call it, action figure. It's the business action hero, apparently. <laughs> so yes, uh, if you if you head over to carolroth.com and drop me a line, you you really want uh, a dollar in action figure? Let me know, and uh, and since I have a, a few left, maybe I'll wheel and deal on it. Outstanding. Well. Uh, I would guarantee that it would be a prop in many of my video blogs. So, <laughs> All right, Tony, we'll right. make sure. You, you send me your address. I'll make sure to hook you up with one. <laughs> Outstanding. All right, Carol. Hey, it was great to, to have you on today. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Well, that wraps Episode 29. I am your host, Todd Schnick, and we'll see you next time on Intrepid Radio. <laughs>